So we are busy with the churches of Revelation. The Word of God is not boring. No, it's, it's alive. It says it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's alive and powerful. And if you believe that, it will be alive in your life and it will be powerful. And that is why I love the Word of God. It's God's mind to us. If you want to know what's on God's mind, read the Word of God. And as we study through these books and, and through these churches, we find a lot of things. And, and we need to take heed to those things. We need to take heed as we go through each one of these churches. If it applies, remember, threefold application. Does it apply to us personally, to me? So many times in all of these churches we heard it. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The Spirit's going to talk this morning. Uh, he's going to talk through His Word. I'm going to preach the Word and He's going to talk to you. And the problem is not with me. The problem is not with the Spirit. The problem is with you if you're going to listen to what the Spirit says to you this morning. So we come this morning to the fifth church. The Church of Sardis. Also known as the Dead Church. And it's terrible if you think about the association that this church has been made to deadness. If, if somebody's dead, what, what are they? They are dead. There's no life. Death is the opposite of life. And it's very sad this morning, if you think about it, that a church is associated with death. It is so amazing that we are standing here in this place, which is a funeral home, and it is associated with death. Yet we come in here every Sunday, and what are we bringing to this place? Life. I hope so. Life. And we preach about Jesus Christ who's alive. Yet here we find a church now which is associated with death, Sardis. And we're going to read all about that. We started off with Ephesus. And you remember Ephesus is the loveless church. And if there's no love, what do you find? You find contention. You find fight. You find all of these things creeping into a church if there's no love. And then eventually it goes into hatred and murder and strife. And then we went into the second church, and that was Smyrma, which we know is a, is a church which is known for martyr, the people who died for what they believed in. And after that, then we went on to Pergamos. You remember that compromising church? And we said that is terrible to have compromise. Not only in the church, but in your life as well. And then, as we went into Thyatira, the corrupt church, you can see how it goes into stages from compromise into corruption. And what do you find eventually? Death. Can you see that? Death. And this is what we see here now. The church of Sardis. How terrible it is that somebody can associate deathness to a church where there should be life. How terrible it would be if you call yourself a child of God, a Christian, to supposed to walk around with the life of Christ and the light of Christ in you to bring the life into the world. How terrible it will be that people will then look at you and say, there's death in that person. He doesn't bring words of life. He brings words of death. He doesn't bring words of uplifting. He brings words of pulling down. You see, dear friends, we are made up, the church is made up of building block stones, and it's you and me. It's us. We are the church. 
And it's terrible that when you look at a church, you see it is dead. So let's read now in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to read through this, and as you know, we're going to then come back and uh, unpack it and do expository teaching on that. He says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that are alive, but you are dead. You've got a name that you're alive, but you are dead. You are dead. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now verse 3, he says, remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Repent. My brother said it this morning. The only way that brings you back from all of these things, from sin in your life, is repentance. Listen, let me say it right now. We cannot have a gospel without repentance. Therefore, if you will not watch, what will then happen? I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. Oh, how to be counted worthy. Verse 5, he says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I want to read that again. Because sometimes I just love it when the word of God speaks. Let it speak again this morning in verse 5. He says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. But what will happen? I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's the Word of God. And if I close everything and we pray now, I know that God has spoken and His Spirit is working. Let's just pray over the Word. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. It is powerful, Lord. It is sharp and it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And I pray, Father, this morning through this word, speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to everybody who hears my voice heart and my heart, Lord. And Father, address us in the way that you want to address us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find this church of Sardis right here in the middle of a junction. You remember when we started with Smyrna? Smyrna is the sports city right here, a very busy city. And then that's the gateway into Asia Minor. A very important route into that area there. A lot of people living there. And we can see the straight route running from Pekamas down to Laodicea. And Smyrna right into Asia Minor. And right there, on a junction, we find this place. Sardis was built 
500 meters on a cliff rock, the city, so they could see out far on that junction. And it was important for them, and they've built big walls around the city to protect them. It was really tough to break into Sardis or to put a siege against Sardis into that place there. It's difficult to breach the walls. But I want you to think something. As, as I just this morning when I prayed, I want to read you this passage here while you look at the churches on the board there. You know that when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, I want to read this to you, and I want you to think about these churches that I've mentioned this morning. And I want you to think about us. This is the gateway into Asia. We remember that Paul was sitting there and he got an open door to go into Macedonia. This goes into a lot of places into the world. While he was sitting in Patmos, he got this revelation, this was John, about this gateway into the door into all of these places into Asia Minor. But listen what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. He talks about a door here that was opened by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, by taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So he's saying that he is now going into Macedonia. But listen to this now what he says. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, listen, through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Think about that. Through us, what does he do? He releases his fragrance of His knowledge in every place. In every one of these places, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Tythira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, there were churches there. And what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to release the fragrance of what? Of the knowledge of Christ in those cities. For five weeks now I come here and I tell you about what's happening in the cities, the temples, and, and the lifestyle. And I'm going to tell you about the lifestyle now about Sardis. But the important part of the church is to do what? To release the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in those places. This is what Paul says here. And I like it when he uses the word diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we, we the church, we are to guard the fragrance of Christ. If you go into your workplace, wherever you go, people you need meet, you need to be the fragrance of Christ. Are you? Are you? Among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perish. To the one we are an aroma of death leading to death, and to the other an aroma to life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Paul writes this to the church in Corinthians. And here we find a dead church. I want to suggest to you that they did not do what Paul said. They didn't diffuse the fragrance of Christ in their place. They were influenced 
by the outside factors. And that should not happen to us. So this place in Sardis, <coughs> built on this cliff rock there, it was a wealthy city. Very wealthy. It was the first place where they minted coins, where they started making coins. There was a king there, a very wealthy king, whose name was Crucis. And he was so wealthy that people in that area had a slogan. If they wanted to say to somebody, you are wealthy, they would say, you are wealthy as rich as Crucis. And everybody would know that is really, really wealthy. Like some say, stinking wealthy. He's got it all. It was also a river that ran through that place, the river Hermes. And in this river, there was gold. It was just flowing through. And one of the ways that they captured this gold is they would take a fleece and put it in the water. And as the water ran over the fleece, it will get particles of gold in between. And they will get it out and dry it out and shake it and gold will come out. And that's where you get this word from, a golden fleece. If you say somebody's got a golden fleece, you know that they've got gold or they're rich and they've got money all over them. And this was the place where this church was situated. A very, very wealthy city where they've minted the first coins. So it was luxurious living, yet without discipline. If you think about easy money, because this was a place for easy money, and with money and idleness, what comes? Immorality. And it's the same today. I'll tell you, some people get money too easy, and it leads to a lot of immorality. And it was the same here. It opened up that door for idleness. Oh, money is easy to be made. And if you think about the immorality that could happen in this place, it was fired on by the temple of Sibel. There was a temple there, and what comes with temples? Prostitutes. So they had this money, they had the idleness, and what do they do? They conduct themselves into immorality, sexual immorality. This was the nature of this city, a wealthy, wealthy city, and it was so easy to get pleasure in this place. In fact, Timothy, uh, in the book of Timothy, Paul warns Timothy about this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. See how he describes the day of Sardis, and not only that, our day and age. He says, but know this, that in the last days, are we living in the last days? You better believe that. There are so many signs that we are living in the last days. He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Now listen to this and think about Sardis. For men will be lovers of themselves. What do you do if you get a lot of money? Oh man, you get so prideful. I've got a little bit more than you and I've got to show it to you. Oh, and I love myself so much. If I look in the mirror, man, you should just see I stand there for hours just taking and soaking it in. And then I comb my hair over again. You know, I haven't got hair, but, I, but you know, I do something. But I love what I see in the mirror. He says, lovers of money. That is our day, isn't it? People are so in for money. It's all about money. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers disobedient to parents. I'll tell you what, we're living in an age now where there's such a disobedience not only to parents but to the elderly. No respect anymore. 
It was in the order of the day in Sardis as well. Hey, it's easy money, it's easy living. He says, unthankful. Just look around you these days, how unthankful people are. You know, the Lord blesses us. We're living in a fantastic country. We've got food on our table. We live in houses. We wear decent clothes. But yet people are so unthankful. Unthankful. Paul came out and he says to Timothy, he says, look, in the last days, this is what you're going to see. The government gives money upon money to people. You know what they do? They're so unthankful for it. It's happening in our day. It happened in that day. Unloving, unholy, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. Remember we're talking about a dead church. It is a church and it talks about uh, godliness, but they've got the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. You see, these people became so overconfident. Remember they're on this high cliff, 500 meters high with these big walls, and nobody could penetrate that. So twice it was penetrated. Why? Because of their they were so overconfident that they didn't realize that people would be watching them the whole time. So it is well known that uh, a Persian man, one day looked at the guards at the top, and one of the guards dropped his, his, his helmet, and it fell down the cliff. And they watched this guard going through a, a secret passage down from the cliff to get his helmet. And so he went up, and that night, the soldiers came and they followed that passage, ready to fight. But when they came to the top, they were so overconfident in this city that they didn't even have guards there. They had one guard and he was fast asleep. So they came in and they took the city over. You see, overconfidence, dear friends, because of this luxurious living, because of the idleness, because of everything, she'll be all right, mate. And there's a lot of people in the churches today who live like that. Not watchful. Look, the Bible says that the, the, the devil is, is our enemy. He's like a roaring lion. He looks around. He walks around to see who he can destroy. But yet I find so many Christians these days overconfident. Overconfident. Too confident. It happened the second time exactly the same. People came up that, that secret passage, and when they came there, you would have thought they've listened the first time. So the Persians went in the first time and conquered the city, and then later when it recovered, the Greeks did exactly the same thing. They came at the top, and you would think there'd be a guard there, and there was only one guard, and again, fast asleep. Like they say, lightning struck twice for this city. So when we think about the city, what title then does the Lord use to describe himself to them. We find it in verse 1. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So he uses the title. He says, Seven spirits of God. What is this talking about? It talks about the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I've done this before, but I'll show you again. When you see seven spirits, how many spirits do we have? We've only got one Holy Spirit. There's not seven Holy Spirits. But yet he talks here about seven spirits. First of all, when you talk about a dead church, it means that the Holy Spirit has departed. They go through ritual. This is what you find religion. They go through ritual upon ritual. The Holy Spirit is not in the place. The Word is not preached. And the Spirit is not there to, to when the Word is preached. It's just not. It's dead. And this is what happens here. If you look in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, it gives an explanation of the seven spirits of God, characteristics of the Spirit of God. He says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. It's first of all the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom, of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Now think for yourself when he says that the seven spirit, he comes to them, he says, this is he who has the seven spirits. In other words, he's alive and he talks to a dead church. What has the church lost when he loses the Holy Spirit? Everything. Here you have a church without wisdom. Here you have a church without understanding. A church without counsel and a church without might. There's no knowledge there. Remember what Paul said to Corinthians. He says, the knowledge of Christ is the fragrance that we bring into the place. These people brought no fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in that. Why? Because the Spirit of God is not in that church. And friends, we find a lot of places today. And I'll tell you what happens these days. The Spirit of God has departed and now people are trying to bring the Spirit in with man-made gimmicks. Now we're trying to, to fake the Spirit. Now we're trying to hype people up and make them feel guilty and make them feel emotional. But if the Spirit of God is not there, it's not going to work. You'll have a lot of followers, but it will be a dead church. This is what happens here. Here comes him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, he says. And that refers back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, when he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lamps, and the seven stars are the angels, or the messengers of the seven churches, and the lampstands which you saw the seven churches. Now, why would he use those two titles for this church? First of all, the Spirit has departed, and he's the one who brings the Spirit back. The second one is, this blame is to be laid on the messengers of the church, the leaders of the church. And let it be known that you will stand one day before God as a leader of the church and you will give account for the messages that's been preached from the pulpits. He says it's Him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. And now He says a terrible thing. He says... You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. Isn't that so true? Of traditional religion. And then he's talking now about the spiritual condition of the church. He says you've got a name. Church. And you're supposed to be alive. But what is happening? You are dead. And remember, this is a personal application as well. You call yourself Christian but you are dead. You're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you are dead. And again, we can apply the same thing to us. If we apply to a church, we apply to us. 
If you do not walk with the Holy Spirit, dear friend, you're dead. I do not want to go out of my house without the Holy Spirit. He's, look, Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, I'll pray the Father and He'll send you another comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit, and He will be with you and in you forever. So we need the Holy Spirit, dear friends, in your lives. And I'm not talking about all of these fluff which they're throwing out now as the Holy Spirit and all of these manifestations. If you want the Holy Spirit for manifestations, then you're on a dangerous path. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, look, we're going to send you the Holy Spirit as a manifestation. No, no, no. He said, we're going to send the Holy Spirit for you as a helper. And if you read on in the book of John, it gives us a clear description of the work of the Holy Spirit. And what's He going to do? He's going to teach us about Christ. It comes back to what Paul said. He says, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Who gives us that fragrance? The Holy Spirit gives us that fragrance. You look skeptical. I want to read this to you. Okay, it's not on the board. Let me just go to John. And if you want to follow there, you can open up in John chapter 16, verse 5. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> John chapter 16, verse 5. You see, the, the church has been infiltrated with all of these, these showmanship of the Holy Spirit, which is fired on by man's ambition. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a man's ambition. It works on its own. Listen, he says it right there. He says he's like the wind. He blows when he wants to blow. I'm not saying he is the wind, but it's written like that in the book of John. Now look at this. John chapter 16 verse 5. He says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where, where are you going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now listen to this. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. There is no lying in Jesus. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Who's He talking about? The Holy Spirit. Okay? And when He has come, look in, in, in verse 8, and, and make a mark in your Bible if you want to. What is He going to do? Is it going to do all of these funny things which you see these days proclaimed under Christianity? Is it going to be rolling around and snorting on the ground? Is it going to strike you with a drunken spirit? Is it saying it everything? Can you read it in your Bible? I can't. No, no. He says the following. He says, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin. There you go, my brother, saying this morning. You know, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. In other words, they are rejecting Christ in righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more and of judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Now, look at verse, verse 13. He says, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine and declare it to you. So what is He going to do, the Holy Spirit? He comes, dear friends, and He teaches us about Christ. He convicts of sin and of righteousness. Here we find the church 
where the spirit is not. And that is why the church is dead. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, he says, You are made alive who are dead in your trespasses in sin. You see, one of the other reasons you get a dead church is because they do not preach sin anymore from the pulpits. If you preach sin from the pulpit, people run away. And now, now if you go to these people who's got the, the, the golden rule or the golden standard of church building, they say, no, no, you can't offend people. You need to be seeker sensitive. Be sensitive, man. You now, if you're sensitive, you don't preach certain things. You don't talk about the blood of Christ. You don't preach sin. No, no. Sin means I'm lost and I need a Savior. And you can't tell that to people. And that's where the problem lies, dear friends. It's right in front of us. The Bible says in Ephesians that we were dead in pre-test process. So in other words, these dead churches these days in 2017 are allowing sin to sit right in the church and do not preach against it. It kills. They're sitting with corpses in the church and there's no convicting preaching from the pulpit to turn death into life. It's just the truth. That's why Jesus had to address this church with this title. The Spirit of God coming into the church will take care of that. But you have to allow Him through the Word of God. You see in verse 5, He said, Having a form of godliness and denying its power, the church is without the Spirit and it's dead. You see, I can't find anything that Jesus Christ says good about this church. Have you found anything? A dead church, there's nothing good to say about it. Another thing about a dead church, there's no struggle. Have you found that the, he doesn't mention any martyrs in this church? Have you found that? Because the society is happy with them. Really happy with them. They didn't stand up about things. There's no persecution going on there. Because, hey, they are happy, happy, you know, these nice Christians. Just up the hill there. They won't bother you. It's a dead church. And it needs the Spirit to make it alive again. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. When Jesus speaks to, the, to these Pharisees, I want you to listen to these words because it's so applicable to the church in, Pekama, uh, in, in uh, Sardis. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Beautiful on the outside, but dead bones on the inside. Dead. Some churches look like that. You drive past them, and they've got the most beautiful buildings that you can ever dream of. You walk in and they laugh, bomb you. You know what I'm talking about. They just come and they come from every direction. But once the service starts, they're dead. <coughs> Let's continue on. Verse 2, he says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. He says, be watchful. In other words, wake up. You know, just can somebody shake them and wake them up. Look at Psalm 57 verse 8. He says, wake up my soul. Oh, my soul, wake up. Don't sleep. 
it's really interesting. I find it fascinating that we talk about a sleeping church, a dead church, where twice it's been breached because of a God sleeping, overconfidence. He says, strengthen the things which remain. What things? Well, he did say in verse 2 that they know their works, didn't he? So there were works going on there. But he couldn't just compliment any of those works. He says, but strengthen the things which remain. The few things, strengthen that. That's how you start coming out of death. And then he says, remember therefore how you have received and heard. Go back to the first things, remember. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, the church should receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men, but as the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you, who believe. It effectively works in you who believe. That's what the Word of God will do. A church without the Spirit of God and the Word of God is not a church. No, it's not. It's just a gang of people coming together. It's a society. You can come in and you can do all you know, funny games and stuff. But he says here, remember how you received the Word of God. And the same to this church. Remember how you received and heard this. And then he says, hold fast and repent. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 1 verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good things which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It comes back to two things, the Holy Spirit and the Word. Look, Andre said it this morning. Are you still reading your Bible? Are you still praying? That keeps the Holy Spirit working in you, the Word of God working in you constantly. But these people neglect that. How many times he wrote it to Thessalonians, he writes it to Timothy. He says, and then he wrote it to Corinthians. Remember, the knowledge of Christ is the fragrance. And here again in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How can you stay strong in the grace? And the things that thou hast heard of me amongst many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. That is how we keep the church alive. So four things there. Be watchful, strengthen, remember, and hold fast, and repent. It's important for a dead church to repent. Uh, you can ask yourself, you know, what's wrong with my spiritual life? If you feel dead in the spirit, ask that question and say, Oh, my soul, wake up like Psalm 57 verse 8. And verse 3 says, Therefore, I will not watch. If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. This is a terrible warning, isn't it? It's an absolute, he says, if you're not, he says, look, there's people who's going to watch and we should watch. But let me just say this, dear friends, when I keep a watch on the returning of Christ, I keep a watch through the Bible on the returning of Christ. That is enough and we're going to find a lot of things in the next few weeks once we get, continue on in the book of Revelation that we can see and that we will know. 
But he says, be careful of this. If you not watch, what's going to happen? I'm going to come upon you like a thief. Do you know when a thief is going to come to your house? You don't. It comes in the most unexpected hour of the day. A thief normally comes when you're not there, or these days they come while you're there, they rob you. But you don't. It's not as if they're going to call you up and say, hey, um, I just noticed you're not going to be there tonight. I'm going I'm to hit your house tonight, Philip. You know, I'm going to hit your house. And then you know he comes. No, it doesn't work that way. He can come any moment. Have you watched? Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Maybe he can come in 10 minutes' time. I don't know. Maybe he can come tomorrow. What will you do in the next 24 hours if you know that he's coming back tomorrow? What will you do? How will your life change? Are you ready to, to stare him into his fiery eyes which is penetrating? Think about that. And here he tells them, he says, if you are not going to be watchful, what's going to happen? It's going to be like a thief. He, he comes upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour he will come upon you. And he's talking about the return of Christ. Uh, he's talking about the rapture. And look at this, friends. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we all shall be with the Lord. And I don't hear anybody shout hallelujah. Are you ready for that? Or are you still saying, oh Lord, you know, I've got this thing happening next week. Please, can you push it one week out? It doesn't work that way. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But I'll tell you what, if you're not watchful, this is not a comforting word for you. This is a worrying word for you. I know of people, young people that I've talked to over the time, they say, oh, I just want to enjoy a little bit more life. They are not watchful. And then, let me give you the, the, the stark reality of this whole thing. Listen very carefully. Because the Bible is so clear about it. If you are born again, blood was saved by the blood of the Lamb, you're going to be in heaven. Okay? But if you're not, read at the end of the book of Revelation, your destination will be the lake of fire. This means that in a family there will be a separation of loved ones. There will be those in families who do not care about this, who continue on in life, and, and they are dead, because it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead through your trespasses and sin. So in other words, you're a walking corpse, dead man walking. And these people in your family who are not, they came to the saving grace of your Lord Jesus Christ. They are alive. It means, friends, if this happens, if this happens, if he comes like a thief in the night tonight, it means that you will be not seeing those loved ones of you forever. You'll be separated. They'll be in heaven at a banquet feast, and you will be sitting in hell. And there is a hell. A literal hell. This is a stark warning. This is a serious warning. He says, be watchful. I come upon you as a thief in the night, and you do not know the hour that I will come upon you. Let's continue to verse 4. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garment, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Oh, how to be counted worthy. 
You see in Romans chapter 9, 29, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. He says, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. He talks about a small, you see he says a few names. The Bible says that it is a narrow way, not the highway that leads to Christ. Look, it's not the masses. They talk about a massive revival that's going to come just before Christ comes. I don't read about that in the Bible. Nowhere. Yet there is very, you know, good scholars going out and they say the revival is coming, revival, revival. I read about apostasy. I read about the numbers going to be small. So I'm not surprised. You know, I'm not chasing numbers. I'm not saying we should grow into four, five thousand. If this church grows to five thousand, we're all gathering into one place, there's a problem there. Because in, in the first place, Jesus Christ came, he got to himself 12 men, and what did he do? He sent them out. You see, again, we are the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. What is going to happen if we all gather in here 4,000? Well, we will not be in this place anymore. But, you know, what will happen? We will all just come together and be like a, a bee's eye. This is all happening here. No, no, no. What's going to happen with that fragrance? It stays here. No. We need to take the fragrance out into the world and train able men to, to teach others. Let this be a church like that. That's why I want to use people to come in and, and do things in a church and, and gain confidence to do that. Godly confidence. But he says here, I'm, I'm digressing, he says a few names. Even in Sardis. You see, when I look at Sardis, I think they're dead. It's all Ikabot. Mogetroge, it's gone. But you know what? There's still a few names there, even in that place, who have not defiled their garments. And then I can go on about this. And they shall walk with me. That's, that's, that's a promising. They will walk with me like Enoch walked with the Lord and was no more. In white, for they are worthy. Verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will spend a little bit more time here. He says, And I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is, for a lot of people, a very, very difficult verse. A very difficult verse. Because they see Jesus sitting there, or God sitting there with the eraser. And every time you do something wrong, he goes, ah, you're out of the book. Come, ah, ah, you're gone. And then you do something good and say, okay, well, let's write it back again. And then you do something, ah, oh, let's do And you know what happens with paper? It goes through onto the next paper. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not what he says here. We need to read it into context. Because the question here is, does this mean that someone can lose their salvation? When he says this, and look, I'll tell you, dear friends, and I'm by far not saying I'm the final word on this, because there's only one who's got the final word on this, and that is Jesus himself, and it's God who wrote this book. But I believe in assurance of salvation. I believe the Bible teaches that. And this is not against that. In fact, if you read it in the context, he says, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In other words, I will put his name in, in the book of life and it will be secured. If we go back to the book of John, he says that the Holy Spirit, what, that, what does he do? It seals us. He says, if you're in my hand, nobody will pluck you out of my hands. Yet I hear so many people say, 
that, you know, He can raise you out. And that leads to a dangerous teaching of works. Of works. You have to perform to keep your name in the book of life. You have to perform daily. Now, yes, we are sinners. What happens? Do I say that I'm now sinless perfection that I've reached? By far not. By far not. I'm standing in front of you just as a human being still. I make mistakes. But you know what I do? I go on my knees and I repent before God. You know what He does? He forgave me my sins, past, present, and future. Don't you think He knows you before you're going to appear next week at a place or the week after and you're going to fail? I'm talking about serious things here, friends. Where people now are preaching and say, oh, you better watch out. You better do these things. And then you can get all of these er errorous teaching coming into that. You see, when he talks about the books, he talks in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 about, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead and small standing before God, and books were open. You see that? What is that, singular or plural? There's many books. There's a book of remembrance that's been written. There's a book of life. There's a register book of life. And now he says the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, when did this happen in context? This is after the thousand millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 20. After that, that this takes place. This is the second resurrection. Remember a few weeks, weeks ago I spoke about the first resurrection. What happens at the first resurrection? The dead will arise and Jesus Christ comes and He set up His millennial on this earth for a thousand years. And what will we do, you and I, who are saints, who are saved by the blood of the Lamb? We will reign with Him as what? As kings and priests. Now how does this then work out if you say that I can lose my salvation all of a sudden and now I'm going to stand before the white throne judgment after I've ruled with Jesus for, for a thousand years as kings and priests. And now I've got to go again. No friends, here, the second white, or, or the white throne, what's going to happen here is the dead will stand before Him and they will be judged for the sin which they committed and which is not saved. They will be judged from here and enter into the lake of fire. You say, but where do we stand before it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes about our judgment, the saved ones. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. This is not the white throne judgment. This could happen tonight if you die. You will stand before Christ. Because where do you go tonight if you die? Some people say you go to purgatory. Some people believe you're still going to go into a holding place or asleep and wait. I suggest to you, or I'm, no, no, I don't suggest. I know what the Bible teaches about when I die tonight, you going to heaven and be with Christ. I think I'll preach, I'll, I'll, I'll do a special sermon about the book, shall I? Because it's too short for me just to bring it into this passage. Um, but friends, I've seen over the times how people come in and they grab people and they start preaching works. 
You have to work so hard to keep your salvation. And it brings fear upon people. I've seen it, Christians. I've had a lady once sit with me and she said, I'm too afraid to wake up tomorrow. I'm too afraid to go to work. I've had a man once said, he said, if I drive, because it's all around us, we're living in this world. He says, I drive, and, and, and there's a billboard with this naked lady lying on that billboard. He says, I've drived there, and I look at that board, and I go, oh, goodness, I failed, Lord. I'm going to be missed. I'm going to be blotted out because I've looked at this naked lady. I said, no, no, what did you do with your thoughts after they says no? I said, Lord, I don't want to look at that. I said, now, you know, what are, what are you saying? We're living in a sinful world, friends. But we're not part of this world. So, so this is what he says. He says, I will not blot out your name out of the book of life. I believe, and look, let me also just clarify this for you now. You know, they say, once safe, always safe, and then you can do whatever you want to do, and you can live a sinful life because you're saved. Hey, you know, God has got me. No. You know, and Paul gives it straightforward. He says, shall I know sin more because I've got grace? By far not. No. But the love of Christ drives me not to sin. I think I'll make a note here and, and I'll come back and preach a whole sermon on this in, in between as one of the uh, extensions of this. Now, let me ask you uh, one question before I go into the parable. He says there, he says, I know your works, that you have a name, but that you are alive, but you are dead. Which nation in the world has a name, but they are dead today? Come on, which nation do you think? Israel. Israel. I want to apply this quickly to Israel. This is a nation who's got a name. They are the nation of God, the people of God. Now hang in there before you think I'm actually turning against Israel. I'm not. I don't believe in replacement theology. But listen, this is the nation where our Savior came from. The Jews, Israel, they've got a name that they're alive, but they are dead. Why? Because they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected Him. But there's hope. Because He's got a plan and a purpose for Israel. Now I say that because I want you to look at the parable now. Because this is applicable to the church. Matthew 13, 44, he says, and this is the fifth parable in Matthew 13, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. <coughs> and again, I've heard so many preachers preaching and saying that we are, we are that man that sells everything when we find Christ. It's not. No, we need to put it in perspective. He says it's like a treasure. What is the treasure he's talking about? Is it us? Is it the world? No, let's have a look. The treasure here is Israel. That parable is applicable to them. You say, how do you find that? Look at Exodus 19.5. He says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, when you shall be, uh, then, then you shall be a special treasure to be above all people for all the earth is mine. Who did he talk to there? He spoke to Israel. This was the Israelites coming out of captivity and they went into the wilderness and here at, at, at Mount Zion, at Mount Zion they, they stood there. And what happened? He came 
And he appeared to them and he said these words to them. He said, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. He spoke to Israel. And again, in Psalm 135, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. You stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of your God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself. Look, Israel for His special treasure. So let's apply that then. I mean, the Bible is clear about it. It's not confusing. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man, who's that man? Jesus. It reflects back to the first parable, a man sowing. It was Jesus, the word sowing. And now he says, a man found and hid. He found it and then he hid it. He found them. And what did they do? They rejected him. And now they were hid. And now they're back. Look, they came back in 19, 1947. And then he goes on to say, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The field is the world. What did Jesus sell to buy the field? He died on a cross. He died on a cross. He, he paid. He's got control and authority over this world. You say, wait a minute. Satan is still loose. Yes, he's absolutely still loose, friend. But if you think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to his disciples, he said to them, he came out and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You say, so how does that apply to you and me? Well, friend, he first came for the Jews, they rejected him, yes? And that opened up the door for the Gentiles, for you and for me. You and I are grafted into Israel. So yes, you and I are also the treasure which is in this parable. But it is the, the church, the faithful remnant church, the blood-washed children of God, which is part of this treasure, which he found and then he hid. And for the joy over us, for the joy over those Jews, the Messianic Jews who found him, for the joy over you, everyone in this place. What did he do? He went and sold everything that he had. What was that? Came from glory. And he purchased the world, the field. And through the field, what did he get? He got his treasure. How amazing is that? I've said a lot this morning, but let me ask you this question before we pray. If somebody can go and call my lovely wife while I do that. I want to ask you the question, are you dead? You say, um, I felt my vitals, it's still going, I'm not dead. But by now you should know what I'm talking about. This is a spiritual message. Yes, the church was standing there inside us. It's a wealthy city. Most probably the church was wealthy. Most probably they had a lot of money around. Maybe a big building, maybe nice, beautiful, but it was dead. Here you sit today and you're all alive and the eyes are, are glistening and you know you can still see, you can still feel your breath. But are you dead? Now if you're dead this morning, I've got good news for you. And that's the good news. That he came and he found you, his treasure. And he went away and he sold everything and he purchased the field for you. How do you come to life? You repent. 
You repent of your sin. If you haven't done that before, that's the first step. Nothing can start if you haven't come to the first step and repent of your sin. And then the Bible says in the verse that my brother said this morning, he says, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and then to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, this is a terrible church. It's a sad story, Lord, about a church who's dead. It's really sad that Jesus, out of his own word, says to a church, you've got a name that you're alive, but you are dead. How terrible is that, Lord? May it not come, Lord, that our Lord says it over this church or over each and every person in this church. Oh, you've got a name that you're alive, Christian, but you are actually dead. So, Father, I do want to pray as your Holy Spirit do its conviction in your hearts this morning according to your word. I do pray, Lord, that you will touch your hearts. Take this message in your hearts, Lord, and carry it with us during the week. As where we go, Lord, that we remember this and apply this to your heart. Father, I don't want to be dead. And Father, help us to be watchful. As the word says, wake up. And as, as the psalmist say, oh my soul, why do you sleep? Wake up. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name and I thank you for that. And everybody say amen.